Hi, I'm your host, James Barrow, a creative turned marketing director with over 20 years' experience in the advertising industry. Join me as I go behind the scenes with a range of innovative thinkers. Hear what inspires them, their processes, and the methods to their madness. Find insights that can help unlock your creative potential and apply them in your life, career, and business. Right here on The B-Side with James Barrow. How do you help start a startup? In episode two of the B-Side with James Barrow podcast, I speak to global branding director and startup advisor, Glenn Barry. He's a partner of Moonshore Ventures, an innovation consultancy that helps leading startups create, develop, and take their ideas to market. Glenn Barry's career spans 25 years, where he's worked for some of the world's leading design firms like Interbrand London, Siegel & Gale New York, Future Brand and Landor. He's a born branding phenom. He created his first brand identity at age nine in Melbourne, which was a logo for his primary school that they still use today, and has since branded countries, cities, the Sydney Olympics, corporates, retailers, events, not-for-profits, and a range of new startups. We discuss Glenn's approach to design, his focus on innovation, and how he helps brands realise their purpose. He also shares the nuts and bolts of his pivot into the startup world, how he became the co-founder of Willie Smith's Organic Apple Cider, and how you can get involved in the startup scene yourself, along with some of the things to look out for. I really enjoyed our chat, and I think you will love it too. All right, GJB. I'm with GJB, <laughs> otherwise known as Glenn J. Barry. What does the J stand for, mate? J, I've always wondered. It's a funny story. I used to tell everyone in primary school that it stands for Jesus. So I went to a little... Catholic primary school in, in Melbourne. And, you are uh, the design guru, mate, I must say. So Vince Frost, sorry, mate. It's, it's Glenn J. Barry. Uh, it's funny because, uh, and then and then when I started um, my career, I, I kept the J in there because I used to, used to be this old uh, radio guy, a radio television guy called Glenn A. Baker. Glenn A. Baker. And I used oh. to like the sound of that, so I... Uh, I used the J, and I thought Glenn J. Barry sounded uh, quite professional. So, so that's how I started my career. So all my business cards all the way back to when I was like 21 entering the career of design, I used uh, the, J the J in the middle. So J isn't actually your middle name? No, it is. It's, oh, it it's, is. it's, it's uh, J for Joseph. Joseph. As opposed oh, to Jesus. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. I was for a second just thinking it was a um, one of your first design decisions, <laughs> that the J just looked better between the, the G and the B. <laughs> That's a very good point, actually. And if you if you do play that out, it does create a nice little uh, face, uh, a visual face. Which well. is really interesting. I used to go by James Garley Barrow. I was James Garley for a long time. And I JGV. JGV. <laughs> I and it was it. quite weird because you and I were so close and we'd always JGV, G, GJ. <laughs> GJB. Absolutely. It's the GJB. way to play it. It's, uh, a lot of folk just call me GB these days, GB, so Glenn I keep Barry. it pretty simple. Yeah. Uh, that's fantastic, mate. Look, it's really, it's a real pleasure. Two um, first names. Uh, yeah, true. Never trust someone with two first names. Like Glenn Barry. trust him. Uh, you know, ironically, though, everyone I've met with two first names are bloody top blokes, yourself included. Awesome, awesome people. Awesome <laughs> and people. I just want to thank you for, um, Make uh, it friendly. for for spending this time to speak to us, you know, no to speak to pleasure. me in particular. Um, let's invite the listeners for, along for the ride as well. Um, we're in the WeWork studios, which I think are absolutely awesome. There might, yeah, there might yeah. be a bit of noise. I mean, it is a hub of creativity <laughs> here. I think it is a bit of the future. I mean, the, the WeWork philosophy is sort of probably, you know, talked to a little bit uh, further on. But, uh, you know, the idea of uh, a creative hub, an idea where entrepreneurs come together and collectively work and connect and 
um, you know, make each other better is is kind of the future of where innovation goes and, and where you're likely to meet another fellow, fellow co-founder or the next opportunity or you bump into an investor or you, you know, you... you you have uh, meetups and you have entrepreneurs come in and talk to you, you have investors come in and talk to you. I mean, it is a collective opportunity and a collective hub and particularly for creative people to actually be around other creative people, particularly entrepreneur and uh, business-minded sort of commercialization of creativity folk um, is a real benefit. I found it a real benefit. I've been around the WeWork type communities Probably for about eight years now. That's yeah, re- that's really yeah, eight nine years. Yeah, I obviously know your background through my mm. experience working with you. You know, mm. we go way back. I yeah. mean, it's it's decades now, isn't it? Yeah. Um, well, uh, God, when with it anyway? It was. I think like we both collectively two, worked together probably in two thousand eleven. Two thousand eleven. Yeah. 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 The yeah. last time. I mean, so that, that's the years last before one, that. Years yeah. before that as well. So I've known you um, yeah, for quite some time now, um, and you haven't always been in this sector in the no, um, no. the startup space, the entrepreneurial space and whatnot um why don't we go back to the beginning yeah just like you know i obviously know quite a lot about your background but you know i really love you to talk more about that just as a reminder um you know how you got started in the industry where you started and so yeah for sure i mean i've had i had a pretty dream design career you know i I was (laughs) weirdly enough i designed my primary school logo when i was nine years of age um, still around today, which is Isn't I had a school fantastic. reunion uh, last year, a 35th school reunion, and uh, the the logo or the brand is still in place. How so. would you rate it now after after all these years? There's still a concept in there. I've got to admit that it's not bad. <laughs> it's actually solid. It's, Isn't uh, that fantastic? What is it? A crest of is, like a, a, an emu, a kangaroo. <laughs> no, with, uh, it has a sort of it has strength. Australian flavors attached to it now. But it, back in the day, it was simply. And it does stand weirdly differently now, but it was St. Damien's Primary School and uh, S, T and D, which is a weird combination of letters anyway. Mm. Uh, and I made the T sort of like a, a little cross in between the S and the D. Oh, and nice. it all come together as one emblem. So there was a religious connotation yeah, as well. Yeah, because it was so Catholic, Catholic primary school. Catholic school. Yeah, so, that's genius yeah. thinking. Well, I love that. I love that. For a nine-year-old, sort of, it's not bad. So it's really good. That's my, quite my son has to step up to those sort of levels these days. Yeah, well, that's better than <laughs> half the work. I see from 35-year-old designers, let alone a nine-year-old. I think that got me going, right? I used to design design T-shirts for uh, kids at school. So there was an entrepreneurial angle there. I'd sold my first um, oil painting at an adult art exhibition when I was 13. Um, did outside classes. Did year 12 art when I was in year 7. So there was an art bent to where I got into design. Um, I went to an open day when I was in year nine and told my parents I want to get into graphic design and uh, saw some magnificent folios out of, you know, Monash and Swinburne and, and the like back in Melbourne. Um, and so I, I went and did the Monash design degree, um, literally was offered the three big studios straight out of college, uh, out of university, and uh, chose FHA. I had the choice of Cato and Emory at the time as well, and chose FHA, which just felt like more of a family. And mm. and it actually was probably the best decision I've ever made in my career because mm. I was, um, you know, wrapped with open arms um, by Trevor Flett and Richard Henderson, who are the co-founders of um, AGDA, the Australian Graphic Design sure. Association. And you've had I, a strong yeah. connection to AGDA. You've maintained that connection yeah, for back, some time. Yeah, I was back You were the president time. for some time. Yeah. You? I, I'm yeah, sure was, you'll get there. I'm sorry no, to no, was, jump ahead. Lucky enough, it, it does tie together. I mean, it sort of um, it was a definite uh, career 
you know, starting point, which is, you know, at a very high level. So, you know, FHA mm-hmm. at the time got it, you know, one and were given uh, some some of the biggest projects in Australia, the you know Sydney Olympic Games, the Crown Casino went up. It was the first time in Victoria they had a casino. Um, they had a rebranding of ANZ Bank. I did um, the AFL brand. You know, Sydney Olympic yeah. Games. I mean, that yeah. was outstanding. Yeah. I think there was a certain. It was a great time in Australian history. A really good yeah, time yeah. in Australian history, mm. and it was the first time I think I really understood the power of. The branding of a nation. Yes. You know, like Mm. uh, 100% New Zealand and New Zealand broadly do it really, really well. Mm. I could be wrong in saying this, but based on my opinion, I think we got to a certain point around 2000 for the Sydney Olympics. And then we just left it. Yeah, we we did. We, we, did. we just walked away from it. We built up so much brand equity in Australia yeah. through Sydney, yeah. and then we just walked away from yeah. it. Yeah, it was know. a magnificent project to be involved in. It was, um, it was, it was over. It was about 18 months, really. It was a project. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So we started right back in 98, um, and they won. So FHA won three successive bids to get the... The, the logo, the look and feel of the games and the look and feel of the venues. Um, and so I, I was lucky enough, that was kind of a, my first big project. And yeah. as a young what a designer, project. what a Seriously, project. What a project. It was that Amazing. AFL, which I always loved, and, uh, which was weirdly designed. You are, you are, you are, you are a Melbourneite, mate. <laughs> to, to not love AFL would be sacrilege. Right? Absolutely. And to get yeah. to, you know, rebrand, you know, such an organisation. And, and and also Crown Casino. I mean, I remember they um, gave us the opportunity to go to Vegas because it was the only reference point for us to develop a casino. We designed 160 different restaurants and bars in, in the casino as well. I mean, it wasn't just. A, yeah. a logo job it was you know to create the environment and that's kind of what the sydney olympics was as well it's creating this celebration of australia yeah and you know yeah. i remember yeah. i spent three months just on the color palette you know i went across australia and looked at 16 colors that would represent australia Australia, the right way. yeah and then we created these vignettes between the colors which become the look and feel of the games what if you were to yeah. say these are the australian colors yeah. and I, I i have a very distinct memory in my mind of there being ochres and um, uh, uh, navy blues and and almost aquas and so on Um, and various shades of more sort of earthy greens and so on. Yeah, for sure. That was the gum leaf green and then there was uh, the cockatoo crest was the yellow the, you know, the red earth uh, of of central Australia was uh, right there as well. There was the reflection of our beautiful blue skies. There was, um, you know, the, the coral reefs up in the Great Barrier mm. Reef that formed a sort of teal colour. Uh, there was the jacaranda purple um, mm. trees of Sydney. Amazing. They're quite famous. Amazing. So they were very iconic colours, well thought out, and given given the um, effort and uh, desire they got. And, yeah. and I think it really helped bring about this. What a great piece of work. When you, start, when you start with that vision, I yeah. mean, I was a, I was a graduate with. I think I was at Leo Burnett. I don't know where, where was I, 2000. Yeah, I was at Leo Burnett uh, in... Two- oh, no, 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 I wasn't. I was at um, a place called Integrated Options. Yeah, right. Which is now Havas. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, it was um, Havas's, um, or at the time, Euro, Euro RSCGs. Oh, yes, right, of course. Um, di- digital, direct, and um, everything else yeah. kind of um, offering. And it soon became... Euro 4D and then Havas obviously yeah. bought it out completely. So my background, my first gig, my first true gig in the advertising industry was um, as an integrated, uh, <laughs> junior integrated art director. And I think uh, 
that was 2000. Before that, I was, I was hoping I'd be working in the film industry. Yeah. Uh, in wow. 98, I worked at a place that did straight-to-home video um, promotional pieces, mobiles and wow. hanging mobiles and, and posters and everything. And we'd get all the um, the 35 mil film um, <laughs> uh, strips yeah. and we'd have to scan them and then we'd turn them into wow. uh, promotional posters. But they, these weren't like the, the great films. These were the shitty B-grade films that went straight to video, right? Yeah. So, but it was still great. I was only one step away from working <laughs> in the film industry. Only, you know, uh, two years later I realised I was actually working in marketing and advertising. But it's your... I mean, you, you do think about creativity across a broad spectrum. I do. You know, and, and, and you know, I, I was quite defined in yeah, I never, and I, Yeah, I sort of... Yeah. I, I, I I never had such a narrow um, mm. view. I knew I wanted to work in film and tell mm. stories, but I never ha- I, I was never so certain. And that's why I admire about you. You you know exactly <laughs> as a designer, as an art director, as an entrepreneur, what your purpose is. And that is one of my sort of things yeah. I'd really like to unpack, yeah. what your purpose is yeah. as a creative. We don't have to talk about it now because no. what I really want you to do yeah. is go through. <laughs> so you've, 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 you're so at the, you've, we're at the Sydney Olympics. Yeah, and Sydney then Olympics, and what, which was, is a springboard. What was the agency again? Sorry, that, yeah. So that was FHA, FHA uh, okay. which is Flat Henderson Arnold. Sure. Um, image design <laughs> back in the day. Um, it got rebranded. They got bought by Future Brand globally yeah. um, in the year I left. So I left uh, in 2000 after the Sydney Olympics. I watched Kathy Freeman win her gold medal <gasps> in the stadium moment? that well, I helped wasn't brand. Wasn't a brilliant moment. Um, with the, yeah. you know, the medal podium and everything else I helped, yeah. helped design. And, you know, it was a wonderful to leave Australia. I had a going away party, I remember, with, you know, 100 odd friends and family and headed off to my end destination was London. Um, but I went via, uh, I went and stayed with a friend in Tokyo for uh, four weeks. And it was probably, it was a defining moment in my life. In Tokyo. In Tokyo. Right then, right uh, at that time, Mark Newson happened to be doing his furniture design. Um, oh, there you go. Around the corner from where I was staying and uh, in Shibuya. And I went and... I went and visited him. I went and visited um, wonderful aspects of Tokyo. I'd never been outside of Australia. People so say that's my place. If you're a designer, if you're yeah. anyway artistically yeah. or creatively inclined, you have to people to come back. And, you know, I've never been. I've never been. Oh, and I'm ashamed of it. Especially because <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I, the other thing I might talk about on occasion in this podcast is martial arts. Because uh, well, yeah, I'm a huge, yeah, yeah, huge martial absolutely. arts nut. That's an art, right? That's great. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a discipline that helps you define... Uh, clear thinking, clear. And, and from a design standpoint, simplicity, mm. which is a theme that is yeah. is is current and mm. very obvious in all the literature and all the approaches to any form of yeah. design. And sorry, you got me excited. So keep, keep going. Keep <laughs> no, going. Tokyo is yeah. is the excitement because it yeah. was the trigger point for me to think about the design in a global sense. You know, mm. coming from Australia, I certainly had this, and it was ripe to represent Australia through Australian eyes, but. To, to go global, in my experience, has really helped me really understand and unpack, you know, the work that I do. You know? yeah. So And Tokyo was, you know, I kept a visual diary. I still got it today. It's like, you know, 100 pages full of um, product samples. I'd love to see that. Would you be able design? to share that with the, with yeah, the, for sure. with, with the audience? Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I, just a snapshot of that. Yeah, it was like, yeah. you know, little fruit packages and gum packs and, um, you know, cigarette packs and all yeah, sorts yeah. of stuff, but beautifully designed and quirky. Mm, like there mm. was a... I remember there was this beautiful little, um, uh, they gave away uh, 
uh, tissues in the streets of Tokyo. And so I think mm. they still do because the mm. whole point is to, you're not allowed to put chewing gum on the, the ground. The tissues come in like come in an this. outer pack and then an insert <laughs> and then was, within the insert it, it came in. <laughs> so the design on the pack was magnificent. It was called, it was AU, which is actually a bank that sponsored these tissues. Sure. Um, but the A and the U formed a beautiful little egg. Oh, fantastic. Um, which talked to support and things like this that the bank were um, spreading as their mm. um, offering. And, and I just remember that piece of design still holds true today, you know, yeah, 20 yeah. years later. That was a beautiful piece of design. That was the sort of things I fantastic. were coming across on a daily basis. And aspiring basis. to yeah. create yourself. Yeah. So I was lucky enough to go um, uh, from Tokyo. I went to San Francisco, actually. And again, it was sort of... One of these places I heard about, um, it's just as dot-com boom sort of had boomed yeah. and busted. And um, and San Francisco was a really interesting place to, to have my next stopover. And, that would have um, been a really yeah. interesting contrast mm. as well. There is absolutely no denying that those two cities oh, yeah, absolutely. have created something in the world that we're never going to return from. Yeah. And it's for the good. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's for the good. I mean, yeah, people, I, I love I'm, no, I'm not a technophobe, <laughs> you know. I think it's for the good. I really yeah. do. I mean, I, yeah. Yeah, I... I um, it got me thinking about technology then. I didn't, I didn't apply it. One of my favourite shows of all time is Big Hero 6, you know, for, yeah. for a whole bunch of reasons. But the, the fact they merged both Tokyo and San Francisco into the one city, I do love. Isn't that brilliant? Um, yeah. And it is kind of where my career is heading. You know, yeah. it's kind of yeah. what I envisage this utopia vision of technology and design and creativity all coming together and mixing together yeah. and, and that, forming this new future, right? Yeah. Where, you know, I've got myself a... You know, Tesla in the last sort of six months yeah, as well. Yeah, you, 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 you know, put a Facebook post up there saying yeah. you feel like you're driving the future. <laughs> I, it and, does. You know, and that, that is really that, yeah. that is really something that I hear yeah. from a lot of people who have test uh, <laughs> driven them or uh, own them themselves. Absolutely. You know? yeah, no, yeah. I know I'm doing it through the lens of, you know, an 11-year-old son. And, you know, I want him yeah. to feel like he's inside of the future as well and going towards it. I'm driving a Golf and, and I'm reluctant to upgrade <laughs> because um, I'm thinking if I do upgrade... I'm either going to do one of two things. I'll get a te- Tesla. Yeah, if, yeah. I'll probably have to wait 10 months for one or whatever it is. But, uh, <laughs> I had three-year wait. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, but I think it's a lot quicker now. A lot quicker now. Or I'll just go stupid <laughs> and have my midlife crisis a little early. <laughs> go go old-school Porsche. And, and get, yeah, like an old, yeah. I really like the Audis, like oh, the RS3 or beautiful, whatever. Anyway. Beautiful. So my end destination was to go into brand London. Um, hmm. But I met with... Um, uh, Terry Oliver, who was the CEO of uh, APAC, basically. Uh, and, I mean, just trying to find addresses back in the day without a smartphone was a challenge in itself. I actually drew my way around Tokyo. I remember going to restaurants and I'd draw what I wanted to eat and I'd show them. And <laughs> they're very visual people. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and that was so It's pretty helpful. easy to draw ramen, bowl, squiggly noodles, some chopsticks. <laughs> Absolutely. But it was wonderful. <laughs> like, even directions and everything. I had to try and find this destination. What happens with the addresses in Tokyo? And it's so much easier now with Google Maps and everything else. But back back then, so... Well, and, and still the case today. The, the, the numbers on the street actually relate to the, how old the building is on the street. Oh, really? Yeah. Not the actual... It's not sequential at all. So oh, you really? might go... You know, number five, and then it might go to 132, back to sort of 18. So the age of the building, age is of the not, building, is, is how it's. Um, that how is it's, so different. 
So Get try it. and find your way around Tokyo. You've been, you've never been outside of Australia. Trying to find the interview. You know, I had to go on. I was going to set up a, a interview with this Terry Oliver, CEO of one of the biggest branding co- companies in the world. Um, you know, and much, much more stately, stately gentleman. I, I didn't want to be late for this thing, so I, I rocked. I, I left the house, and it was only. Would have been the two suburbs on, but I left the house like three hours just to give myself give yourself that much time. Yeah, to enough find time, the place. and I got there on time and I had yeah. a wonderful. You know, it was going to be an hour meeting and ended up being like a three hour meeting, and we had a great time. I think he took me out for lunch and everything. And fantastic. He actually sent this out. This dates me a bit, but he actually sent a fax to Interbrand London to say he had this wonderful meeting with me, and you would be silly not to hire him. That's and, fantastic. And so I, yeah. I went. Um, I actually went to San Fran. I went to New York next, and then I met up with uh, with my brother who was already living in London, uh, in Wimbledon, and went to interview the next week um, yeah. with uh, well with Future Brand who bought FHA. I did have an interview with them, and they offered me a role, and and with uh, Interbrand. Um, yeah. And the reason why Interbrand came into play was um, uh, Steve Steve Payne, um, who's the twin brother of Andy Payne, who's now and still is and has been for a long time, the global creative officer for Interbrand Globally. His twin brother worked with us, come out from Ireland, actually, and worked with us on the Sydney Olympics. Oh, so that's how go. Sydney Olympics ties there back to go. everything so in my whole so career, which is Isn't weird. that funny? It was like and this little, other, yeah, absolutely. little angel on your shoulder that helped. It was, it was yeah. meant to be. <laughs> and, meant to and then be, yeah. Andy was a great mentor too. Probably one of the best design thinkers I've ever come across. Sydney serendipity. There, there's some sort of uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> association there. It was Design-wise, you could break that word down. Yeah, it? absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he, yeah, so I was lucky enough and I went straight into the the top-end brand identity team and we mm. worked on some magnificent branding, you know, right across, you know, we launched Yaris and Toyota, rebranded Toyota, Rothmans, uh, Rothschilds, um, you know, Barclays Bank, British Airways. I mean, we had some iconic work mm. that we were doing. So I'd been very lucky. I worked on iconic stuff in Australia. Went straight to London and, and worked on mm. those beautiful iconic brands over there as well. Yeah, and and after after Interbrand, where were you? Uh, you, you... Uh, so Interbrand went. Um, my wife actually got offered. She was working at BP, uh, British Petroleum, mm. just as they rebranded to Beyond Petroleum, and and uh, they got me um, a opportunity to actually live in New York. She was she was, she got asked to sort out um, retail strategy for North America for BP, and uh, asked <laughs> where we would like to live in in America. And I said, "That's a pretty good I'd question." Said, isn't uh, it? Uh, where would you like to live in America? I said, "Look, I, you've got a job." But most like most of the opportunities might be in New York, because um, yeah. I knew there's a lot of design firms there, and and. Uh, Omnicom, which owns uh, Interbrand, also own a studio called Seagull and Gale. And I uh, went and spoke to Alan Seagull and Howard Belk, who is the CEO now and was yeah. a creative officer then. Um, and they took me in straight away. I, I, I mean, I had, to, I had to work illegally for the first six months. Before you got your green card um, and stuff. Yeah, before yeah, I got yeah. you know, my stamp of approval. Because yeah, I, yeah. I, was, I wasn't uh, married to uh, my wife at the time. Yeah, uh, we were yeah. just boyfriend-girlfriend yeah. uh, coming across from London. And yeah. um, it was one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life. Um, yeah. 
uh, working in New York, 50th and 5th, literally above where they filmed Mad Men. Is that um, yeah. Literally, the soup, uh, the soup uh, Nazi was across the road. <laughs> uh, it was everything, right? It was, it was all those iconic yeah. things yeah. that yeah. you think about New York. New York and we yeah. lived in Meatpacking District in a beautiful life. Oh, it's what um, a great little area. I went for uh, dinner down yeah. there when I was on Virgin, oh, Virgin so Australia. I got to travel. I was very lucky. I, yeah. I got to travel the world with Virgin Australia. They were a great client, really good team. Yeah, my time down there was fantastic. I've since been for... Yeah. For personal, you know, Absolutely. reasons, holidays, and so on. But yeah, there's something about that. And it's when I met you, that was after Siegel and Gale, wasn't it? At IdeaWorks, yeah, that, for sure. That, yeah, that yeah. was after so, after that. Yeah, yeah. so we skip forward a few years and to then 2005. I mean, that's right. Me a yeah, bit as well. But 2005, oh, I, I, I think I, I met you in yeah. 2007 or eight. Yep. I think, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I come back. Um, my mum actually got sick with cancer. I had been sick for 13 years. Um, mm. the doctor actually rang and said, look, Shane, you've got a few months to live. Mm. Um, yeah, you I, and I have some yeah. commonalities yeah. there. My mum passed away at 18, and yeah. I think that affected me yeah. quite greatly. I, I wasn't... How did that affect you? How did your mum... Yeah, I'd certainly... I mean, I had a wonderful relationship with mum, and she Was she always, one of your biggest influences, would you say? Yeah, mum and dad. Dad, yeah. dad rode speedway bikes for a living and mm. uh, lived actually in London for eight years and, and did ice bikes in Russia and things like this. And sure. He, both of He them, was a creative guy, I mean, by the sounds of things. Well, Riding an of, ice bike in he Russia. He fixed and, bikes and motor yeah, cars. He was Deus before Deus was a thing. Yeah, he was definitely Deus before Deus was a thing. And weirdly, he's got one of his speedway bikes in Deus now. Does um, he? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, he... I mean, both of them from very early age always said, You're, "All, all three boys, uh, two brothers, um, should go overseas and live overseas. It'll yeah. make." That's make one thing that people. struck me when yeah. I met you. You yeah. really had this worldly air about you, you know. Yeah. And, and I was yeah. incredibly impressed with that. You know, I came from a single mum who um, didn't have the opportunity to travel much, but she did before she had me. Yeah. I was the first child. She travelled the world twice over lived in ashrams in india and whatnot and she'd always talk about um the importance of travel as well my mum passed away when i was 18 and i hadn't traveled yet uh, only gone local had local trips and i (laughs) went and had a child at 20 and so on so i put all those travel plans on hold for some time (laughs) but i always loved hearing stories about young people who were doing that and i never really it wasn't so much envy it was just fascination mm. fascination you know yeah and i was fascinated we were young guys yeah. when we worked together i was fat we were relatively young <laughs> <laughs> um i was fascinated by your stories of uh, yeah, working well, overseas now i've got an 11 year old who's already been to eight countries yeah, so he's, yeah, he's, he's got my, my he's kids got a the very same. worldly experience yeah mike i've done the same yeah. for my children but it was the children. same it was yeah. the same right it's the same with technology yeah. for me as well yeah. it's like i've just got this fascination because I, I wasn't exposed to it Hmm. And so I'm like, I am so curious about technology and where it sits and, and how it plays a role in our lives. And the same thing was with travel as well. I just absorbed it. We went, we, we went to 36 countries when we were living overseas. Yeah. Um, well, that's a beauty yeah. of living. If there's yeah. one thing we can tell our listeners yeah. as Aussies, I mean, yeah. we're talking to the world here, but um, if, and Americans and, and uh, not so much the English because yeah. it's, <laughs> it's, the Brits have access. And that's my point, right? Yeah. Go to the yeah. UK and you can yeah, well, travel you access to, you know, to 50,000 countries whole Europe, right? in a year. Well, I remember we spent Christmas in, you know, in um, Morocco, you know, because you mm. could, you know, it was yeah. like a couple of hour flight, you know, yeah. and we had another Christmas in Prague, you know, and um, so, yeah, we the access from London, absolutely. But I would say, you know, they, and even now is the case that particularly New York and the US generally do love Aussies. Oh, they absolutely really do. Love, and yeah. embrace them and, and make your life 
immeasurably more uh, enjoyable and, mm. and do anything for you. If you want to go and see someone or speak to someone or find a restaurant booking, or Americans generally... That was will, my experience will, as well. I mean, I, I, I yeah. felt um, more um, appreciated. Yes, yes. And, and, and it's really... It's not the common uh, narrative mm. you hear people talk yeah. about, you know, the arrogant Americans. I no, never felt that for a second. I spent three months in Florida. Yeah, right. And this wasn't like Miami, Florida. This was Deltona, Florida. <laughs> yeah, proper Florida. This was proper yeah, yeah, heartland, yeah. Florida. I think I met some Gator of the, territory. Gator territory, man. And I think I met some of the nicest people yeah. on earth ever. They are. They really they are. were beautiful yeah. people, you know. And uh, anyway, um, I, 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 we could keep going. Yeah, so, so yeah, I, come back here and I... Um, I was lucky enough. I come back to Melbourne, um, spent time, got married, um, and that next year um, had an offer to come up to Sydney uh, yeah. to yeah. with Landall. And that's uh, right. Yeah, yeah. so um, that was great. Great to do that. Landall's a Y&R based. Uh, yeah, so they were Y&R WPP. Yeah, that's so right. yeah. that's how I ended up with IdeaWorks. So yeah. basically, um, Steve Colmo, CEO at the time said, look, we want to start up a brand identity practice and want you to lead it. So yeah. I, I jumped across basically from Landor to Ideaworks, Ideaworks to set up yeah. that practice. And that was a great experience because, you know, it wasn't a, just doing identity or sort of doing all brand. I got to work with yourself and mm. advertising and, you know, the digital component. Well, the digital component yeah. was really interesting. Yeah. As we know, our mutual friend Aiden, who yeah, I'm going to have on the podcast, he was the kid in the back room that knew oh, a little bit, a little bit about digital, right? Yeah. And and um, no, he gave me he, a little glimpse. He yeah. volunteered yeah. to uh, to to do a bit more with the digital. Now absolutely. he he was a trailblazer, <laughs> a trailblazer oh, as far as the digital, the growth of the digital industry. Oh, concerned. he was my go-to. I, because I, he was my tech go-to. Absolutely. Now look, yeah. look yeah. what he's built. I mean, yeah. from all. I mean, I know he's recently left to do his own thing. Um, but what a, an amazing legacy oh, he's absolutely. left and, and taking yeah. that place from a little back office to this huge, no, he's, one of Australia's only initial largest, I think it was, absolutely. by the time he left. And done it in a way that he's brought others onto the journey, onto journey with him as well, and, yeah. and inspired them and, yeah. and really pumps up others around him too. And so I think, you know, he's actually almost made it accessible for me mm. to go into the tech world in many respects. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, you know... I'd well, there's like, an art yeah. to demystifying all that stuff. I mm. think um, there are a lot of people out there who benefit on the confusion, you know? Yeah. And there are others, especially in marketing, there are others who can cut through all the bullshit yeah. and just um, explain complex things in a really simple way. And I think that's where Aiden really excels. Yeah, so. absolutely. On to... Um, Onto what you're doing now. Yeah. Before we get there, though, yeah. I think I might just quickly ask you who, who's been your biggest influence. You t- spoke yeah. about your mum and, and I think yeah. and, and and your dad. If I'd you've... say, yeah, I mean, certainly from. Uh, so I've had a lot of good mentors in my time, mm. and a, a lot of folk have taken me under their wing and given me some real insight. Um, you know, all the way you know from my you know my first mentors being Trevor Flett and Richard Henderson who were amazing. I still catch up with them now. And, they, and when you say mentor, I, I always, I'm a mentor. Well, my I, boss and mentor yeah, as well. Yeah. And, right? and I think yeah, mentors, yeah. mentor, some people see there's, there's almost two types of mentors. There's a, um, a more structured approach to mentoring and, and mentoring your mentees. Yes. Uh, and there's the more organic, um, it just naturally happens that yeah. this person is someone you go to for advice. I, I prefer that. Mm. Um, I, I, I've, 
been involved in certain... Well, they open themselves up for yeah. and listening think, yeah, and, and providing yeah. some context for you. I'm part yeah. of the trenches, yeah. Yeah. part of their mentor program, and it seems to be working really well. Yeah. And I think they've laid the foundations now for it to be a two-way thing where you've got to make an effort to make it work. Yeah. And it feels really organic. Absolutely. And, and, and I think seems... you've got to be willing, I'd suggest that as part of the, the whole approach to creativity, you've got to be willing to listen as well, yeah. right? And yeah. You can't just be, you know, I was a very confident young designer um, thinking I was on top of the world because I got to work in Sydney Olympics in my first year. Oh, I mean, it's a you huge... Know, and, 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 yeah, I had every right to sort of totally. express that because I'd a done some good things. I'd won a lot of awards yeah. and, you know, you you got to... Some of that confidence is really necessary, but also you, if you're also listening to those who have, who have um, laid the foundations for you to be successful... You can pick up a lot of stuff and fast forward mm. your career yeah. very quickly and Absolutely. cut through uh, a lot of a lot of the detail and, and get to you know a, a better version of yourself very quickly. Mm. So that, and, and that's what I did. I, I I was confident. I'd go in there on weekends. I worked my ass off. I'd, I'd certainly hard work but was listen, a big listen. factor. But listening to those above me and actually taking in their advice and actually you know. You know, fast forwarding my career has kind of mm. been very valuable. That's that's yeah. a really interesting one. That was going to be one of my questions. Yeah. What's your beast mode? <laughs> yeah, I know it sounds a bit, you know, a bit naff, but um, and that I would say that would be one of your strengths. Just being a really good listener and very observant yeah. and very sort of intuitive uh, or em- just, empathic. I'm, within, yeah, you know? I'm generally curious, right? Yeah, so yeah. I, I, I'm a big reader now. I sort of read a book a week. I mm. listen to it. TED Talk at least once or twice a week. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm I'm always gone through this phase of wanting to learn more. What books are you currently reading that you really love? Yeah, I, um, I mean, what, what, I, what I'm reading a lot of venture type stuff. So you know, everything from Elon Musk biography all the way through to you know, One to Zero with um, Peter Thurl and those type of books. Mm. Um, Adam Grant's uh, book, and you know, there's a whole bunch in that space. Yeah. But I, I would just from a, if depending on what you want to go into, I, I, I'll list them all on my Instagram and stuff yeah, as well. Great, but great. Um, what is your Instagram, by the way, for, for the listeners? Just Glenberry. Glenberry. So Glenberry. I haven't. I've dropped the J <laughs> uh, uh, across most things. The J yeah. still exists in LinkedIn, but um, yeah, I, I dropped the J. At, uh, and same with my Twitter account is just Glenberry. Yeah. So you talked yeah. about. Um, uh, your work in sort of your shift, your pivot out yeah, of the yeah. sort of the, so the, the design about, role, and now yeah. now you're moved into more the venture capital startup world. Uh, talk to us about that. That yeah. is fascinating. So, what happened actually back in 2012? Um, I actually teamed up with a friend who was at Diageo, and he was um, he was actually looking at the cider industry. Um, from a, just looking at the UK, I was starting to explode ciders in the UK and craft cider particularly, and it hadn't happened in Australia. And and he was would was asked by Diageo to look at that for a year and 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 monitor it and see if there was any brands coming through. He took that and come to me and said, uh, you know, is there any opportunities in uh, in cider? And just um, coincidentally, I'd, I met a. <laughs> Uh, an apple farmer from Tasmania uh, in a meeting, uh, which was a winery. It was actually after the juice from, uh, from these apples down in Tasmania to actually make their own cider. Um, and 
And within a week, we'd gone down to Tasmania, formed a company at the at Mona, <laughs> which is a wonderful. Oh, it's uh, a fantastic. Art yeah. That that is where you go for a temple of creativity, and then um, formed that, and we we started Australia's first craft cider company. And uh, yeah. Willie Smith was so still going today. Going Willie really Smith, well. it is uh, such a good cider as yeah, well. Yeah, and it's organic too. So learn about the organic process. Yeah. But what I did in that process was actually learn about business. Right, I've had an easy run. You get to be head of creative and and folk around you do all the business stuff, do all the going and buying and selling, and <laughs> do all the admin and accountancy and kind of organize your life so you just have to be the head of creative and be creative so you were the head of creative for uh, yeah all the way through Willie I guess. Smith's did you yeah. was it called Willie Smith's at oh, the time oh so or? Willie Smith's was I guess a co-founder but I was yeah, I, guess a, yeah. I was the creative arm and then Sam was both marketing and general manager, general manager and, and then yeah. Andrew was operations as well all three yeah. of us had multiple hats i've been down yeah. to the uh farm yeah and, so and, we, and the we, store in tasmania what a brilliant yeah. place yeah well it's we bought the apple museum yeah. very early on first six months we bought the apple off museum. the hewan hewan valley hewan valley. valley tasmania yeah, yeah so yeah, but the road's called the hewan highway or something hewan highway yeah and yeah. it's called the apple shed yes um, the apple that's shed that's right yeah. it. and anyone visiting australia should definitely go down there go to tasmania yeah good it is an absolutely beautiful part of tasmania's um um, Beautiful part Jewish of the world, and yeah. Mona, and visit the oh, absolutely. Uh, Willie Sheds, uh, Willie, fact, Willie on, Smith's on apple the, cider shed. On the boat over to Mona, it was one of the first partnerships we did. Um, you can get an organic cider on on the boat, so yeah, mm, yeah it's brilliant. Um, so that, that that started my entrepreneurial career. Really, I mean, there was obviously little touch points along the journey, but that was when I really go, okay, well, this is business, and this is how you run a business, and say think about a business, and say you go to consumer. This is how you take in knowledge of what the consumer wants and not wants. And how did that feel? I mean, could you unpack the, that, the sort of the steps that almost, were involved or did it just happen think, organically with your yeah, involvement? No, what, think, what were the I think steps designers, in... designers can make this leap really quickly, right? Mm-hmm. And I sort of talk about this with designers going into becoming entrepreneurs and co-founders. And some of the most successful ones in the world are from a design background. You know, you think about Airbnb, you know, you think about um, Pinterest, you think about Instagram, you know, you think about Tesla, all those particular brands have actually had a co-founder involved mm, uh, who's mm, a designer, right? right? And there's no why coincidence do you think that, that is? Why, why, why do you think that is? Because I think, I, I, I think we had a chat earlier yeah, about um, yeah. the one thing designers... And 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 creatives broadly, whether you're a musician broadly, or an actor yeah. or, or or an artist or so on, you you have to execute the vision, and a lot of the time you have to um, gain the confidence of your collaborators yeah. prior to that execution. I think designers live in this world mm. where um, you know you're, you're you're used to the journey. You're you're used to the journey from yeah. idea to, to to conception to execution. Absolutely, and and uh, business or entrepreneurialism or a startup, for example, yeah. is almost an embodiment of that that journey. Absolutely, isn't it? It starts with you an take idea. that even further, right? We do the research on the competitors up front as well. You know, like a startup would, right? You ten pages in a startup deck are kind of the process for design. You think about mm-hmm. it. Like we mm-hmm. do the research. We see where the customers are, where the gap is, and then we create a brand that fits that gap you know that that embodies obviously a purpose or a vision for the for the company and then you know and then we execute that and show how you could take that forward into other 
avenues mm. of, of creative execution. Yeah. Um, and was that loosely the process you uh, followed in launching Willie Smith's incredibly great brand, yeah. um, so incredibly we, awesome yeah. product? I mean, it's not only organic, I think it's ethically sourced at the farming yeah. is like... So the other thing designers do really well, and, and you know, really good designers do this, they, they are really good storytellers too, right? So you create a brand around a story, and that's exactly what we did with Willie Smith. I mean, it was the that's oldest... That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. It, was the, it was the oldest uh, farm, uh, apple farm in, in Tasmania, um, literally planted the first orchard. Yeah, so it was this wonderful, rich story. And all we did was build the Smith family around that, that five generations. And this was the truth, right? I mean, this a lot of organisations. This was absolute truth. So when you See, talk about of... authenticity, this is absolute authenticity. This just brought to life, right? This you know? is a thing, yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Most organisations find it hard to yeah. determine what their truth is yeah. or what it is they stand for, you know. and uh... which, which makes it really hard to sell a product or service, right? Mm. But when you've got a true story that you can repeat, and I remember being at Taste of Tasmania actually pouring and those first, you know, ciders to the public, you know, you could tell this story and everyone could repeat it and it become, mm. it become viral. And it's such a visual story as well. Yeah. I, I, there's yeah. a lot of work around um, creating visceral memory yeah. structures and the more visual you can make a thought, this the is, more it's remembered yeah. by and people who And this is where designers yeah. come into their element, right? So they look at things like, you know, so the, the original um, truck they used to put the, the crates in, uh, were made from hue and pine wood, um, and so we from the area. So we used hue and pine wood. We used to put all the apples in there and all the all the uh, six packs of ciders in there and, and give them to the bars, and then they'd have them as a point of sale display. And it was and we literally stenciled a complete the brand, brand experience, right? Yeah, yeah it was yeah. like you could smell the hue and mm. pine, you could smell the fresh apples, and that was the experience of this organic cider. And then then you sprayed the brand on. So the whole point of the brand was to replicate back for a hundred years ago when they actually sprayed the the crates and and so it works brilliantly because when you go to the orchard where we you know they grab the apples and they store them the the, the actual the casings all hue and pine and it's all branded and stenciled and it's exactly what you receive as your point of sale and then it's replicated on the on the brand on the label itself on the bottle so you know it's, it's it was a wonderful story that held together beautifully and it's authentic but it was those touch points right and then we used Use the um, you know local wood and local um, artifacts from the area to build the apple shed as well. So mm. it's those design details that sometimes Absolutely. create that real authenticity, authenticity to the experience yeah. itself. I, I, yeah. A search for authenticity yeah. is so important, isn't it? Yeah. What are you, what are you working on now? So that that, yeah. that that is a huge achievement, and I think you know, a yeah. massive brand. And you know, I, I think what a wonderful uh, product and brand to be associated with. What what, what are yeah. you working on so now? What, are, what point, are your current yeah, projects? For sure. So from that point, I I started working with entrepreneurs basically, mm. and and tried to help bring their vision to life. And yeah. so I started branding startups. That's how I got into it. So almost yeah. um, hoping to replicate the amazingly positive experience you had with... Yeah, for and sure. And you, I'm sure, continue to share. Yeah. Are you still involved in Willie Smith? Yeah, I was still like an ambassador for sure. them. Okay. And they've got, they've got a whole suite of people. I think they've got 40 people so, now. That so just to, just the disclaimer, we don't get any uh, <laughs> advertising dollars. We do not officially endorse Willie Smith. It's a bloody good drop. But, uh, but yeah, hey, Willie Smith, if, Cider, if you want to uh, uh, advertise on this uh, podcast, then please feel, still got feel, it on feel, Royal feel, Albert, feel, Surrey Hills. Feel free to uh, contact me. Actually, we are going to yeah. bring Willie Smith to uh, to. WeWork, actually. Oh, yeah, so I have yeah. a chat to the guys already. Yeah, so. Yeah. Um, 
So no, but yeah, I started helping, and weirdly, I went. I think the next um, uh, brand I brought to life was a Bitcoin app. Oh right. So complete yeah. contrast to what yeah, inside yeah, of yeah. it. was a Bitcoin app, and I was fascinated by that technology at the Bitcoin, time. Bitcoin. It's funny. I was just talking to yeah. a guy who actually yeah. uh, d- designed an actual gold coin. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> a real gold coin, and we we drew analogies with Bitcoin. Anyway, go on. So, so yeah, I, and then that led to a mentorship at Stone and Chalk, which is the largest uh, uh, fintech startup uh, accelerator in Australia, or Asia Pacific, I think. Um, which led to other opportunities, and, and and I think over the last six odd years, I've probably branded over forty startups. So, yeah. what do you do? Talk to us yeah. about your involvement, how you get involved, how you yeah. um, help startups visualize or or, or actualize, I should say, yeah. their 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 vision and their brand. Yes, there is a a magic formula there that is accessible and a lot of startups don't use it, right? Mm. So you do think of your Airbnbs that do, lucky enough, have designers as co-founders, but think about brand from day one and think about purpose from day one. So mm. as we're branding global companies, or in my case, I've got to brand a city in London. I actually branded London itself and, and also got to brand a country in Estonia, branded the whole country of Estonia. Did you create the their own national anthem? What is the, what is the nat- national anthem? <laughs> I don't know the national anthem. They are wonderfully <laughs> creative people, uh, Yeah, I'm and, sure and they are. Beautiful but... visual yeah. um, landscape as well that never mm. got brought to life. But mm. yeah, we, mm. we, if you go to Estonia... You Apologies get... to any Estonians. <laughs> no, they Don't mean people. any offence. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we, if you go to Estonia, literally the stamp still says, Welcome to Estonia, and that was a brand we actually created for them, which helped from tourism perspective, but also oh, from amazing. business perspective they also actually oh, you, know, you flip that back into bitcoin world they actually have one of the largest developing communities in in, in the blockchain space as well but because the government's opened it up for that opportunity but the um I, the same analogy applies when you're branding a global uh, whether it be a fmcg brand or a corporate or a, a country or a city you're still looking for what's a clear purpose and vision for that. You know, what, what sort of sit, what sort of cultural values and things do you want to sit around that? And then you create visual artifacts to match that, right? So it's the same process that you do mm, for a startup. Yeah. What is your purpose? Mm. You know, and startups have got to have this. If you don't have clear purpose, mm. you can't give your elevator pitch to actually get investment, right? Mm. So what is your clear purpose? Why do you exist? Mm. Once you know that, and that's what I help the startups with initially, I just go... Okay, I'll sit here, my experience, 20 odd years, being a branding person, and listen to your story, and I'll try and articulate that for you into, you know, a purpose statement or a vision statement that we can actually build the whole mm. company around. So I, you know, at times I actually rebuild mm. their business. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. But it all comes from purpose, right? Yeah, so you yeah. get that purpose right. Get that purpose right and position it you, you, in can, your audience's yeah, mind with I'm lucky enough to have that experience to be able to articulate that into an identity. Yeah. And that identity can manifest itself into all the communications it needs. So if I, if I had that purpose, that's my great brief. Mm. All right. So from that point, that's how I can help them all the way through. Or I'll recommend others that can help them in other different areas. So do you spend most of Because that was... I was going to ask you about briefs. I mean, yeah. I, I would imagine um, in the startup industry, um, and this is no 
slight on them by any means, but they they are thinking of a hundred thousand different things. Oh, they haven't got time to they, write a credit. They've brief. got no time no, to write a credit. No, so they wouldn't even so, know how to write a credit. So, so is yeah. that? So, so whereas in our experience, prior to you getting in, involved in the startup community, we're anymore. used to yeah. having credit <laughs> briefs. Yeah. We even, um, you know, strategists spend lifetimes perfecting. Um, yeah, what goes into yeah. a good creative brief and yeah. what we should look for. Uh, yeah, that was my question. Yeah. What, what do you, how do you, and, and is that what it is where you're teasing out the true purpose or the true objective? Absolutely. Um, and you can do that direct. The thing I love about working with startups is that you can do that directly with a founder, right? They've got an mm. idea, they is don't know how to articulate, articulate it. it. Yes. But, you know, if you can take them to a level of what the why they're doing what they're doing and actually articulate that into some sort of sentence or vision statement, then you can take that as a credit brief. And, that, and then from that, and everything should fall out of that. How they hire should go back to yeah. that. So you're not waiting for a brief. You're, you're, no. You're, In fact, you're sometimes in- I actively go to the founder and say, I don't think you've you're got You're not a even clear. asking for a brief. No, I'll yeah. go to them and say, I don't think you've got a clear vision of what your company can That's do. fantastic. If I yeah. like them as a person or How I've do, met them and I've got I've got a really positive vibe from them. How could people learn from that experience? I mean, yeah. I, I feel like that is a beneficial way of working. Not to say we don't need briefs. I think, you know, in some cases the, the brief is a, con- a contract, right? Yeah. But what I don't like, and, and, and I've been on this soapbox for a couple of weeks yeah. now, and, and I, I love the agencies we work yeah. with, and I think they're brilliant. Um, but I think all agencies could learn from a bit of that startup. Yeah. Um, approach whereby they're ingrained in yeah. their stake, their clients. I should say, I was going to say stakeholders because they are stakeholders. Their clients' businesses. Yeah. They are searching for purpose. Yeah. And they're not waiting for a brief before they start working on um, actualizing that purpose. Yeah. Because they're on the journey. They're absolutely. They're, they're on the journey. They're creating something. You know, so I kind of wonder yeah. if. I call it the traditional advertising model. That's probably not fair, but uh, the, 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 the larger scale ad agencies and branding agencies yeah. could take on a bit of that sort of um, startup I've culture. Said this for a while. Yeah, yeah I, I feel yeah the advertising model is broken because it's based on time as opposed to execution. So, mm. an execution, I mean, you know, how do we create something of value together? And they certainly don't create products. Well, we don't really have true skin in the game as advertisers. Correct. correct. So that's why I love startup world. So I'll I'll take, if if I'm really wanting to get properly involved, I'll take an equity stake in whatever I'm creating. I was going to ask that. How do you monetize this? Because that's really important. Monetizing is key, right? So So you take an equity stake and what does that look like? I mean, you don't need to go into the... A few percent. A few percent. um, And so you you, you exchange... Sometimes cash and and equity. You you exchange uh, like an amount, maybe a dollar amount plus an equity stake. Yeah. And the the transaction is your time in an ongoing... Ongoing time. Ongoing Ongoing time. So a lot of the cases, even if you know, um, it was if, even if it's not equity based and it was just pure cash. I still stay involved and still advise mm. and still mentor and sure. still want to make sure that brand that I've been involved in yeah. does well. And I've been lucky enough. I mean, yeah. from an angel investment perspective, if you want to put it in those terms, mm. you know, probably six out of the eight sort of companies I've got equity in have gone on and continue to grow. That's so, fantastic. You know, that's uh, that's a bigger strike rate and than that the is, 10% that most VCs offer. Yeah. That, 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 that is testament to the fact yeah. that if you're building a company on true purpose. Correct, yeah. And and with with someone with brand, 
experience and expertise that can bring out that purpose mm. and, and help it engage and inspire an audience, that's when mm. you win. So how do how can people get more involved? I mean, this is going to sound like a bit of a plug for what you're currently doing or your, your Moonshore. Uh, yeah, so Moonshore so, so Ventures, and I'm lucky enough, I work with, uh, I founded with uh, Chris, Chris Arang, who's a strategist, Sure. Um, and and really great business person. You know, owned owned his own digital studio for sixteen years. So he brings a technical mm. edge. He brings a strategy edge. He brings a writing edge. As a combination, we're pretty lethal. Mm. Um, and then we team up with 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 folk um, to do exactly this. We, who are we, some of those folk? I mean, who are you working with currently? Can you so, say? Or are you yeah, one of our yeah. biggest clients is actually. Um, who we're in partnership with is Venture Crowd. Uh, Venture Crowd is a crowd equity um, platform that helps startups and properties um, find an audience, uh, an equity partner audience, um, and and they crowd fund projects. So yeah. you might go. F- you know, how does that work? Been, how do, how do, like, yeah, I, so, I know the general principles of yeah. crowdfunding. I don't think I've ever done it personally yeah. or been associated with it from a campaign standpoint. Yeah. How does how does so that we, work? So we your... might get a uh, a startup that's. Um, got a product or service and looking for a series a funding round sure um we'll help them market that uh, bring that to the crowd uh the crowd then puts in money to raise for that round um then they they have a a small equity in that company going forward Hmm. yeah so pretty simple there's quite a few online so um, it gives everyone an opportunity it gives everyone in australia an opportunity to actually buy into fast-growing startups because unless you're a high net worth uh, angel investor or you're part of a VC syndicate, you can't actually get in on a Canva or the like early days. No, that's right. Right? And you, so you miss out on the real value growth. Yeah. Right? So, you know, what, what crowd equity funding does is actually an opportunity for you to get in on some of these companies early, that are going to explode and that get massive growth. That's a brilliant yeah. tip. That is a real yeah. brilliant so tip. So I love it. I love it. Because I, yeah. I, it's what I do. It's what I've been doing. And I see true success in that from just from an investment perspective. Yeah. And I recommend... You know, everyone starts to think about how they're going to invest their money as well, particularly with their Especially, superannuation. I, I think as Australians, yeah. we're, we're obviously Australians, and you can tell by the accent. Glenn's a Melbourneian. I'm a Sydney <laughs> boy. Um, Melbourneites and Sydney siders have pretty much the same accent, don't we? I mean, you guys sound a bit more posh down there, I think. But, uh, <laughs> I think you uh, live in the city. I lived, I, I lived in the <laughs> suburbs. <laughs> no, but pretty, I mean, I, I think Australia really needs to, like, we talk about purpose, right? I mean, yeah. what's Australia's purpose now? Like, we've been yeah. digging the hole out of the middle. Well, this and flogging stuff over to China and India yeah. and everything, i.e. the resources sector. And what do we stand for beyond uh, minerals so and stuff? That's and, one of the stuff. big big legacy pieces I want to leave. We, it's, you know, at the time when we did the Sydney Olympics, who so asked by, um, I think it was John Howard was PM at the time, he gave us a letter to FHA and said, uh, do you guys want to have a think about the Australia's identity? Because you've captured it for Sydney, mm. the Sydney Olympics. Can you have a look at Australia's identity? And... I think Malcolm Turnbull was heading up the Republican Party at that point and things like this. So there was huge groundswell to actually look at Australia's identity. I think I think that time has come again, mm. 20 years later, mm. the opportunity to actually create an identity that actually resonates with the multicultural country we now live in mm. and and also signify to the world that we are a very innovative, and that's interesting, And that's where growth's country. going to come from, right? Yeah. If we support these industries for, for the like of me, yeah. life of me, sorry, um, I, 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 
I don't know that the government... I don't know this. It's outside of my remit. I don't know enough about how the government's supporting uh, startups and the startup culture yeah, and innovation been, broadly. Do you know... They're uh, putting you speak, barriers in Can you place, speak really? to yeah. that? I don't, so, I don't understand why because, yeah. you know, um, you would think just by the nature of uh, the economy broadly, the macro economy, yeah. the way... Um, we call them consumers. The way people behave when it comes to transaction, transactions, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it means that the... Um, the biggest opportunity we have in Australia right now is actually to support the startup ecosystem. It, has to it be. is where innovation is going to come from. And it's this new generation of we are, small business, we are right? They, they're, yeah. talking about, they're talking about if we don't get onto this now, if we don't um, really push for steam... Um, education in our, um, you know, in our high schools, etc., and particularly in so that's science, field. technology, engineering, uh, Art. arts. Our, it's interesting that they've included arts and maths, yeah. and maths in that, which I think is brilliant. Yeah, so all the, creativity under the word arts, arts, yeah, arts all creativity under the word arts. So arts is you could even have steamed, I guess, as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, because I think ent- entertainment and design are actually two interesting pieces that need to be played yeah. in. So entertainment being the ability to, to create storytelling mm. and design being the ability to implement. I guess my question was, um, and I probably sort of skipped over it, but um, so the gov- we, do, we do need to do more. How the do we support? happen because Malcolm growth Turnbull is going to come. in 2015 put together the innovation package and basically the people of Australia who are not in the probably in the hubs of Sydney and Melbourne, seeing startup world go go bananas, they are stuck in the old way of viewing Australia and innovation, right? Hmm. And so... When you've got people, members of parliament, walking into... So they didn't vote, vote for it, basically. Work, working, yeah. Walking into parliament with with a, a block of coal. Oh. What does that say to the startup community? Oh, now, I, yeah. I don't want this to be a political yeah. podcast, but yeah. that angers me. It's sending the oh. wrong message, right? Yeah. And, and we talked about visual metaphors, right? Yeah. We talked about visual cues that define a brand. When you've got your now Prime Minister walking into Parliament with a block of bloody coal. So what I'd like him to do, like, I mean, given the fact they've just put in, you know, the biggest opportunity is the, that new space agency. And, and, you know, he should walk in with a, you know, a Tesla he rocket. He needs to. He needs uh, with to. A, sorry, a SpaceX rocket and he should go this is our future and put our money into that and cyber security and you know and innovation in general and and really support the startup hubs you know we shouldn't have to rely on Mike and Brooks and Lassie and actually go we've got a billion dollar tower here and we're going to help grow a precinct that should be supported from the federal government down right mm. and it should be mandatory like the israeli government absolutely 100 support so every dollar spent from a startup in in israel is supported 100 200 by the government what a great initiative yeah. what other cities or countries are, are, are sort of be- doing it best yeah uh, well what are the beacons out there as far as startup culture behind a little bit we mm. you know we a new country comes on board in front of us each year, but you know there's obviously you know Silicon Valley and San Francisco generally, mm. and, and mm. New York now. But there's six states in the US that are already above us. Mm. Mm. Um, you know there's places like the Netherlands that are fantastic, and you know Stockholm and and, and the mm. like. Tokyo has always been there, but you've got Singapore now, and you've got you know Shanghai, and mm. you've got. You know, Korea as uh, you know these these countries are 
jumping ahead of us very quickly because yeah, yeah, they're, really they're putting money into AI, they're putting money into blockchain, they're putting money into cybersecurity, like right. well ahead of us. London's obviously a strong one as well as a good hub, Israel itself. Um, you know, these, these countries have got things in place that are well ahead of where we're going and certainly government supporting all these countries. Mm. We have some of the very best, most talented people in but Australia, that's the, that's the thing. right? And we're losing them that's every the year because they're going them. to these other countries they where they've got they bigger opportunities. The, the brain drain, right? Yeah, absolutely. We, we sort of, uh, yeah. You know, I, we got, we got, we got a, you know, Tan Lee, a young lady who studied at Sydney University, you know, has developed something that taps into the brain and augments your movements. It's amazing, isn't like, it? Like, yeah. she's got a company called Emotive that yeah. does this with a head, yeah. headset. And, and, and literally yeah. takes your brain waves and I actually am. augments physical movement. Yeah, like, I mean, it's fascinating. That I work person, at, that, yeah. that young lady went to she did, Sydney and Is she getting support here? Or is she, she, she is through Advance. There's the yeah, other organisation yeah. involved in Advance.org. And Advance.org promotes Australians overseas and, mm. and tries and finds a home for them back here. So mm. one of those opportunities was with uh, Dr. Genevieve Bell, who worked over in Silicon Valley for 16-odd years and did some wonderful things in robotics and AI, brought her back, and she's now the, you know, um, heading up um, AI division of uh, Australian National University. Now, did she come back as an Australian owning an Australian company, um, so i.e. the profits remain in Australia? Yes. Yeah, or, so, or is yeah. it the inverse of that whereby... Um, and I'm, I don't want to put a negative spin on this, but what has happened in the past, and I'm glad to hear mm. we've got institutions that um, yeah. support uh, startups and yeah. innovators so that they don't have to monetize their products overseas or get yeah. the backing for them overseas. You know, it's great to see Australian success stories can build from the, well, the think, Australian springboard and then yeah. go global, you know? We're starting to create we're starting to create a more mature ecosystem now. And, and and it's not only just the startups, you've got to have investment support that as well. And our investments into startups has been very conservative as well. So mm-hmm. we're way down on this like our thirty seventh country in terms of how much capital we put into startups, right? We're yeah. very we're very blazing with the way we buy properties and the like in Australia, which are just as we're addicted. Um, volatile as, as startups We're addicted might be. to property. We're yeah, the most we're risk. We're addicted. So that which means that 80% of the wealth is actually retained within the property. four big yeah. banks, which just means yeah. the whole of Australia is basically run via mortgages, right? Mm. Um, which means that other allocation of, of money, and, and maybe super is the answer, because we've got all our money's going into super, but we're just most of that super money is actually reinvested into Australian banks. So... It's recycled. Like, instead of actually going, what's high growth? You know, why isn't that money uh, put into Alassian or Canva mm. and you know, um, you know, Tesla and and you know? You talk about Apple and Microsoft, and they started as startups. They were two simple startups. Which is the irony. Absolutely. And we all enjoy their their products now. But we've got Canva here, right? Canva is also an Australian product. Born out of Sydney, still operates in Sydney. It's got a little office in Manila and is a global company that's, you know, worth $3.6 billion. If you were the Prime Minister right now, what would you do to encourage a culture, a startup culture in Australia, you know, so that kids from the age of five, as soon as they go to school, sort of knew the fundamentals being able to tell a business idea so this and, is and, and, yeah. and, and bring it to life yeah. in a way that can benefit themselves, yeah. their employees, and society broadly. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I do this lens. So this lens is through, you know, I, I remember taking my son to 
a VR masterclass, um, adult masterclass when he was six years of age. So, I, you know, I, I, you know, but I see him create worlds in Mike in Minecraft, and I see him, you know, think about strategies, you know, and 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 you know, he's he's creative as well, and he brings them to life visually with with his own hands and drawings and things like this. So, I just think we've just got to encourage Steam. I think one thing we need to do, probably more in high school than it is in junior, but it could start. In, in primary school is to help students think about how to commercialise ideas. Okay, So when I say that, we need to bring business and entrepreneur courses mm. into high school. Mm. You know, mm. if, it, if, if it's in there, then they can develop their business understanding of how to commercialise ideas very early on. And that mm. just helps. It just brings the whole entrepreneurial journey Back down well, to it's like definitely 13, not something 14, foul. rather than wait until they've gone through a university degree, a computer science university degree, and they're coming out at 23. So you could start at 13, you could start at 10 years earlier in year seven and actually bring them in as entrepreneurs and think about the entrepreneurial journey right then. Because then you can go through and you can just fail at things. Right? You can just do a project and, mm. you know, it doesn't have commercialization, but it's you've thought through the process and you're thinking about how it could run as a business. Is there an audience for it? Is there a market gap? Mm. You know, is the product right? Is the product market fit right? Has it got mm. any engagement, you know, beyond your own inner circle has is there external people that actually would love to pay for that because it adds some value to their lives so think about entrepreneurialism right into the first year i think i think year seven would be the perfect time for it to be introduced and then they develop it and i'd love to see that you'd actually get marked on you know an enterprise at the end of it and at year 12 you should actually one of the courses should be that's a brilliant idea entrepreneur you know subject Mm -hmm. and you get a mark on it and and that should That's what's happening. I mean, Google and the like are actually bringing folk in from from year twelve. They're not actually waiting for them to go to university. Mm. Most of them mm. drop out of there. Yeah, well, I mean, that's but, a big problem for the know, sector. Stanford's right? already got its got itself in amongst mm. high schools in, in mm. Silicon Valley. You know, because they they seeing that's where the innovation is going to come from. It takes mm. a fresh mind to think about things. Mm. Differently, and particularly mm. for that younger audience as well. There's this yeah. huge discourse around. Uh, the mind mm. being our next resource mine well, in terms I, I find so that people mining yeah. mining people's minds in terms of knowledge and and innovation I would love and to so on it, and, um, and, and if you thinking, see yeah. humans because creativity lives in every single one yeah. of us look at this wealth of resources available to people who are selling um, intellectual property yeah you know, and if yeah. you see it as a mine, a collective mine of, yeah. of creativity, then the opportunities are endless. They really are. Well, think you about know? that even further. If you've got AI into the mix of all that as well, you've got collective minds as well, right? Mm. So mm. if you have collective minds working together, imagine the network effect of that thinking. That is Well, two heads are better than one, right? I mean, and that's, that's something. Right? And that's the opportunity we've got, right? Yeah. I yeah. would recommend, like, I mean, I was lucky enough... I had a company, I had an innovation consultancy company in the mix of all this and before I started working, you know, this uh, in veg, uh, Moonshore, I had an innovation consultancy called Everyone and that was acquired into Deloitte and, and uh, I got to work with uh, Singularity University hmm. and I spent the six months with Deloitte with this partnership in mind and, and, and was, you know, digesting Singularity University. I would mm. recommend it to anyone because all those subjects are on there. Yeah. And the future of the way we're going to be thinking and working and, you know, 
the key is the key is for us. To, I mean, the human brain is amazing, right? It's virtually untapped, really. Yeah, we're only using about ten percent of it. Yeah, is that so, scientifically true? I'm not sure. Yeah. We'll, 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 we'll do a fact check. We'll on that do one. a fact check on that. But, one. but you know, I know what you mean. Like where there is potential to use yeah. and maximize our minds, minds far can more. Think so, about yeah. those connections even further. I think. Yeah. You know, you think about you know adding. You know, imagine imagine being able to put the world's knowledge inside your brain in a 15 minute mm. download. Right. That that world was going to exist in the next decade. Mm. That, is that where, fascinating? Yeah. I mean that. That changes the game, right? Because mm. and, and then you think about taking that knowledge and then pairing that up with others yeah. and creating a network of that knowledge. Yeah. But I, I, I'm even solving talk, problems. I right? think that's uh, that's problems. definitely on the horizon. Yeah. I'm even talking about the raw creativity oh. that's in all of well, our minds right well. now, and just yeah. being able to mine yeah. that creativity Absolutely. and and monetize it like we do resources. Yeah. You know, and I think we're going to get to a point where we, we can no longer dig shit out of the ground and yeah. sell it, but we've got this wonderful stuff in our heads yeah. that we can sell entrepreneurialism and startup culture really is at the heart and at the it's at the cutting edge of doing well, it's that. that it's you know that, it's it's taking yeah. the ideas out of this this thing and then and bringing well, young, bringing them jamie, to life you know? jamie pride mentions this and he's got a great book called unicorn tears actually to recommend to anyone who wants to find out about startups but um what was that again sorry was uh, a, unicorn tears unicorn tears yeah, by yeah. jamie pride and jamie pride's got a podcast as well he's, he's a fantastic fellow and he's and, and you know he's exited some startup business himself. He now works at Corn Ferry. You know he's a consultant to you know innovation basically. But he he talks about this deep thinking, right? You know, yeah. at the end of the day, most mundane tasks are going to be you know AI'd out of the system. So you're not going to have to worry about admin stuff. Mm. Right? It actually gets back to pure creativity. Your ability mm. to actually think of ideas and articulate them, and to be able to connect dots that an AI can't do. Right, mm. an AI can only output what you input. Mm. Right, it's just got a bunch of data attached to it. Mm. It can't think creatively. No. Right. Well, it's not developed that way. Creativity isn't isn't, isn't logical yeah. at times, is it? It's yeah. just drawing so connections that may our, make no sense now, but could. It's, it actually is future proofing your career if you can go into that territory. Mm. Yeah, just to think creatively. Think about how things can overlap and create mm. new markets and new opportunities and new ideas. And what is going to benefit the world as well, right? Mm. You know, what is going to benefit humans and benefit the world? Because if you haven't got anything that actually adds value, then you're just selling, you know, you're just selling mundane stuff. And it doesn't work. No it's not, it can't yeah, possibly yeah. have a purpose, right? And there's no purpose in just selling stuff for the People sake of it, right? People will want to yeah. buy into purpose. It's a bit like you buy into Tesla. It's the same with, you know, buy into Patagonia because it's got a purpose. It's trying to save the planet and the mm. way it actually does its retail offer. You know, I, I buy into purpose-led brands, mm. and I think the world is going that way. I think we eventually will be able to get politicians to think that way. You know, uh, at the moment, you know, that's why there's, there's these movements rising, because we're not happy with leaders in the world not being purpose-led, you know, not that's... thinking about humans first, not thinking about the planet first. What would your purpose be if you could, in a sentence... Um articulate mm. what your purpose yeah, that's is. a good point. I, I've been working on this for decades, but, um, I mean, I, I put it down to designing a better world hmm. um, as, a, as, a, as a core purpose. What a you know, so beautiful if, thing if to aim towards. So if I'm yeah. designing something, I want it to be for a better world. Yeah. 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 So it should be benefiting the collective. Hmm. Um, yeah. So which helps me work with 
certain people. So that if if someone's working on I'm working on a um, EV project at the moment, you know, where you know electric vehicle, because yeah. I really believe in in the way we use resources and the way we're going to use how we're going to create smart cities and the like. And um, you know, I'm working with folk who are looking at that and how do we actually make our lives better and help the planet and help you know efficiencies and mm. help everyone be more connected. I think you need to have a real appreciation for what we're going to look like in the next 10, 20 years. Um, I've had that because I've had a, I got a, you know, I had birth of my son 11 years ago, and that actually completely that was my pivot point. A yeah. pivot point from having my son and going, okay, what's his future look like? I want to be part of helping design that future, mm-hmm. and that's the way I see the world now. So, yeah. if projects relate to that purpose, then I'm I'm all in. Right. If they're literally trying to sell a bit of software that's just a slight improvement on another bit of software, I'm not interested. Yeah. Right? It's got to literally look at trying to change the world for the better for his future, yeah. and that's the lens I use. And so I would say to any designer, think about where the future's going and can you be a part of actually creating that's that great. future. That's really good that's advice. What, that's what all entipreneurs should strive that's to really achieve, good right? I, I, I think we could talk yeah. about this subject for, for hours and hours. We're already, we're already nigh on an hour. <laughs> After editing this down, we might still be close to an hour because I think there's some absolute gold here. I'm going to ask you one last question, and that is really around bites of wisdom. And if you could sum up as a piece of advice uh, your approach and philosophy to, mm. in this case, design or the startup culture, you know, if it was a sense or if it was a meme yeah. or if it was a T-shirt. <laughs> I'd, say, I'd say, you know, they do this very well in, in Silicon Valley. I think what you put in, you get back, all right? So I would say to anyone, if you see something you want to be part of, put into that space and you'll find it coming back to you. Yeah. So I think that goes for everything in friendships all the way through to business. Mm. If you find something you really believe in, go and be part of it and create stuff for it. You know, that's what I did with the startup industry. I actually just started creating stuff for people that I felt inspired by and wanted to help them. And what I found is that's come back and they've found ways they can now work with me. Yeah. So you put in what you get back and it goes back the other way as well. And that's true. And I feel, I'm very lucky. I feel sort of a real sense of gratitude and uh, and the like around what I do now because I love what I do. I sort of help create, I, start, I help articulate vision and values and purpose. You know, and that comes back to me as well because I'm actually working on stuff that I love you working love doing. on yeah. and I really believe in so if you believe in something go and be part of it and go and create stuff for it it might be you know I want to plant 100 trees in the middle of Sydney then go and do that and be part of it and make it happen and be part of the movement that can make that happen and, and you know sign the petitions that need to be have. go and be a designer in that sense if that's a thing that you really believe in what do you believe in go and help Create stuff for it and become part of it. So the shirt, yeah. the shirt, the designer create, shirt. Create the future. Create the future. Uh, put in what you'll get back. Yeah, absolutely. I like putting what you'll get back. <laughs> Glenn, thank you so much, man. No worries, it man. is an no, absolute really pleasure yeah. catching up with you. We're going to have to do this I more really often. Really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed um, it. <laughs> I, I really want to 
talk to you more about this. Let's get you on the podcast again at some time, uh, at some point down down the track, and hopefully sooner rather than later. Absolutely, mate. Thank you so much. Where can listeners uh, find out more about you and Moonshore, and um, yeah, where do they for go? Sure. To- so, um, yeah, definitely. So my uh, my LinkedIn's just uh, Glenn J Barry. The Twitter is uh, Glenn Barry. Just one in. Uh, my Instagram's the same. Um, glenberry.com <laughs> and, and, and I'll and, have a book coming out this year too it'll be uh, Land Your Moonshot which is part of Moonshore Ventures and we'll just talk about how you can actually build and create and launch startups well why don't, you, why don't we get yeah. you back on the podcast then you can talk a little That'd bit be about that yeah absolutely and, awesome. and, and then so there's Moonshore Dot com and there's also venturecrowd.com.au um, as well. I'd say, you know, have a look at, you know, what is coming up on, on, on you know, the sort of the startups that are starting to look at investing and, and how can you be part of it, right? And, you know, as a, you know, you can go in as an angel investor and, you know, part with $360 of your own money and get an equity stake in a business that you might believe in, right? Yeah. I'd, I'd say do that, you know, or take your super money and invest in a startup. Yeah, you know, it, well, this isn't financial yeah. advice, guys. This you, is not financial you, advice. <laughs> but, you, you, you but speak I, to I'm, a financial advisor first, but that's yeah. a really good tip. Yeah. Uh, Glenn, you're an absolute star. No, I appreciate it. GJB in the house, <laughs> coming from JGB. <laughs> Say that 10 times, you get completely confused. Absolutely. Love your work, man, as always. Yeah, and uh, it's an absolute pleasure having you. No, really Cheers. enjoyed it. Thank you. If you'd like to find out more about me or the B Side podcast, please visit jamesbside.com. That's one word jamesbside.com and you can follow me on instagram at bside podcast if you have any suggestions or feedback on the show please email me at hello at jamesbside.com and don't forget to rate review and subscribe the b-side with james barrow is produced by me and i really hope it's helped unlock your creative potential thanks for listening and until next episode cheers